Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast brought to you by TasteWise. As always, I'm joined by Miriam. Um, Miriam has been here in Israel with us uh, for a few months now and is going back to the U.S. So some of these will uh, go over Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I'll miss our microphone recording studio setup. Yeah. Uh, no, it's been great, and it's been great having you here. Um, and I know we're all acting like you're just live, going away forever, but you're just <laughs> going home. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, companies that want to start using data in their decision-making, um, whether that is CPGs or food service sales teams or uh, really any company in food and beverage. Where would be a good place to start and uh, what should be their approaches uh, to, to go about it? So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So we wanted to talk about uh, when companies want to kind of get into using data in their day-to-day, uh, we have a few different uh, examples that we want to get into, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, where should we start? So I think we should start with basically talking about why data at all matters um, and what are some of the pain points in getting data involved into your processes. Um, and then let's say you've already kind of bridged that gap. You're ready to start using data. So where should you start? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start kind of with the decision-making process first, and then we'll talk about um, what that decision should be. Decision-making process for like new product development and... Um... Exactly. Yeah. So for, um, I think today we'll talk about new product development, marketing, sales, and then we'll throw in a little bit of food service. Okay. And when you say just in general using using data, um, like let's define that a little bit. So today there are a lot of different tools that uh, companies use in order to make decisions for new product development or marketing or sales. And those tools can be anything from uh, focus groups or surveys or using things like uh, retail data, census data, uh, whatever. Um, All of these things serve a certain purpose. Uh, We find, for example, that focus groups could be good for like anecdotal data or catching a very specific thing that someone says. Um, they're not very good at capturing data at scale or recognizing trends at scale, especially today, and especially in food and beverage when uh, reported behavior is not always accurate, which is a fancy way of saying we don't always tell the truth when we're talking about what we eat. Whether Um, it's on purpose or not, right? It's not necessarily that people are being deceitful. It's just that it's it's really hard to capture the entirety of one's behavior around eating and drinking, which we do constantly, right? Like in a series of, of set of questions at a certain time. Right? Exactly. So uh, just like in the, the recent VentureBeat article about how Pepsi does this with uh, tools like TasteWise, um, that where they will take a look at um, um, not just social media, but also how people interact with recipes. And they will take all of this data. They will use AI to sift through it and uh, look for the really interesting insights and the, the motivations that drive uh, people specifically towards certain trends. We always talk about consumer motivations here. We always talk about the importance of them. Um, and today we're more digging into um, uh, the data that we use to, to compile these things. Um, so a lot of companies are now making the transition into, um, I think it's in two phases, where one is just embracing technology. Yeah. So this can be generic social listening or, uh, or technology tools like that. And the second is really... Um, finding a, an effective way to take an unimaginable amount of data and get something that's actually useful from it. Um, 
So there's a, there's still some drilling, but I think we're just going to power through it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, what you just said about the, the companies bringing in uh, data into their decision-making process as being kind of this new this new front, new frontier. People are, are excited about it. They're finding new, new ways to do it. There's lots of companies out there that are doing this kind of work. Um, and I think that that's, we can sort of draw a parallel to other areas of the food and beverage industry that have already seen that, that transition to technology that we take for granted now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so if we look at, let's say, the realm of marketing, so much of marketing and you and I work in marketing and we see this in our, our everyday life. But this is true of any any marketing department, whether you're one person in charge of your you know, restaurant social media account or you're working in a, a giant CPG and you're responsible for a team of a lot of people. Um, we all know how important uh, digital channels are. And that's something that it's, it's not even kind of it feels like it's not even worth saying, of course. Right. Of course, you're going to be working um, in the digital space. Um, but we're seeing that folks are in in new product development or even in, in marketing or in sales or, again, in food service, um, that there's almost this hesitancy or uh, it's not quite clear where to start when bringing that same um, commitment to data or to technology into uh, kind of through the door right at the start, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, we might say, okay, obviously we're going to be working with, uh, you know, delivery platforms that are working in the digital space, or obviously we're going to be, um, you know, doing online advertising, right? But that same kind of, obviously we're going to be using data to figure out trends. Like there's that leap hasn't quite um, made itself all the way through the industry yet. So that's what we want to talk about today about why that matters. Mm -hmm. um, and once you're ready to take that leap, where do you start? Yeah. And there's, um, I think, a lot of companies that um, that make very specific products or make very few mm -hmm. products um, that for years have relied on um, just uh, either kind of knowing what they're I'm doing like air quotes like knowing <laughs> what their uh, what their consumers want or knowing what their consumers need having kind of a feel for it that is uh, for example pushback that I've heard. Uh, in some initial calls with uh, with customers, kind of not today, but like earlier on uh, in the history of the company, yeah. um, where it's like we know what our company, what our consumers want, uh, because we've done this uh, for so long. Right. Um, but then, like the way that I I would like to challenge that is that it's not necessarily about what your cost customers have been. Uh, purchasing for all these years. Right. It's more about what are the opportunities that you're missing? What are drivers for exponential growth in the revenue of your business that you could be missing out on um, by ignoring some trends that you could only really uncover by looking at, uh, at data? So um, I have several examples that, of companies that um, sell just a few products and by uncovering the way that people actually apply their products to their home cooking, for example, they were able to use content marketing like uh, producing recipes or uh, go as far as producing a new product line uh, to really capitalize on that. So some of the reasons of like why companies are, are now wanting to do this. Exactly. And I, I loved how you said that, that it's not just about what people have been buying. It's about um, the underlying motivations behind those purchases or behind that that consumption um, because consumers can't tell you necessarily what they don't know that they want yet yeah. right and um, I think that venture article talked about it in a really great way you know um, somebody might not be able to articulate that they'll want a, a seaweed based snack in six months but they can certainly tell you that they're interested in a you know saltiness or they're worried about gut health or whatever so being able to quantify all of that and then leverage it for any of the areas we talked about before is a huge advantage yeah Okay, so uh, what should be our first example? 
Um, so I want to take a look at new product development um, and then followed, as I said before, by marketing and sales. Um, but I want to back us up a little bit and think, okay, let's say that you are ready to bring data into your pipeline. Um, you're excited about it, but you don't know where to start. So I would recommend, and there are a lot of places that you could start and get a lot of value out of. Um, but I think location analysis is a huge one um, and a really great kind of competitive advantage. Um, because in large markets like uh, the US and uh, the UK is another market that we, we play in um, as well, but kind of in today's very globalized world um, and in the, the, the larger markets get, there is no one size fits all solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you can't look at the US and say, okay, uh, you know, the, the survey data that I have for, let's say Richmond, Virginia, where I'm from, you can't cross apply that to, to other cities or other states, then yeah. people have such specific motivations and such specific reasons for doing the things that they do that you want to have an uh, you kind of your finger on the pulse um, in whatever markets that you're playing in, and you want to have as granular of an understanding as you can, and um, without spending too much of your resources on that, right? So you, you mean an understanding of what's trending or what are consumers wanting in Richmond, Virginia, for mm -hmm. example? Exactly, yeah, versus, let's say, Houston, Texas, versus Chicago, versus whatever, right? And understanding at a deep level, even on a neighborhood level, right, what does that look like? Um, what do people want and the why is, is really mm -hmm. important. Um, so I would start with um, location analysis um, because, again, there's there's no one-size-fits-all. Um, and for those of us that have, have the privilege to view food as something other than, um, you know, a tool to assuage hunger, right? We, we work in a, a really... Um, amazing and creative and exciting industry that allows us to think all day about, you know, we want this particular ingredient for this particular need. And, and for so many, that's not not the case, but for uh, for many, it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, our relationship to food has become so much more complicated. So being able to understand at a regional level, um, you know, what the what that complexity is and then create products that really fill those needs. Um, that's the whole point. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so let's take a look at new product development. Um, so if you can um, find your target audience, so let's let's kind of play in the realm of hypothetical situations right now, right? Let's say that you are a, um, what would be a great product to think of for this? Um, we can either go with um, uh, a new line of snacks or a new beverage. Sure, sure. Let's say that you're a snack company and you're looking mm -hmm. to make um, a new snack, right? Um, you could dive d dive into, okay, I, you know, I have this gut feeling that... Um, I don't know, a peanut-based snack is gonna be a really great idea. Um, and you know that your target audience is millennials, mm -hmm. right? Um, how are you gonna make sure and validate that that idea is actually worth pursuing? And let's use this example again of my hometown, Richmond, Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to have access to um, people in Richmond, Virginia um, in a way that's not, as you said before, based on surveys or focus groups. You need to be able to have cold, hard data that then you can leverage for, let's say, pitches to your team or, um, you know, whatever it is, right, within within research and development. Um, so an example that I want to give that I, I looked at before, which I think is really interesting. So let's say that we are um, moving across the country now to Houston, Texas, mm -hmm. right? Um, we've kind of, we've, our snack business is in Houston, Texas, um, and we want to understand what motivations are actually top of mind for people for our snack business. So we can see um, by looking at uh, this kind of hyper-specific location filter, um, and this is all data that's pulled from the TasteWise AI platform, um, we can see that protein is actually growing 92% year-over-year in consumer interest, and it's the fastest-growing 
um, nutritional interest and one of the fastest growing interests at all within food and beverage within Houston, Texas. So already just being being able to drill down into the city, I can see that protein really matters um, to people in Houston, Texas. I can see that um, superfood also is growing 124% year over year. So it's actually one of the uh, the kind of newer trends. Protein is more established. Superfood is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see that the top established ingredient across all food and beverage is actually chicken, which is 7% of conversation. So just within like two seconds of looking at, okay, specific data to Houston, Texas, um, and this is all based on, on social media conversations, we can already see three really interesting categories that I could use for my for my snack development. And that has cut down a huge amount of time of research, right? I could have yeah. maybe arrived at that through, you know, surveys or focus groups or, or trolling through Instagram with the location pin turned on to see what people are eating and drinking. Uh, but the, the fact that I'm able to do that really, really quickly um, through data is, is a huge advantage for my process. Yeah, I mean, it's not a secret that you and I work for TasteWise, the sure. company that, that does this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's um, so it, kind of our recommendation of how to do this would be obvious, but there's there are actually many ways yeah. to, to do this because the interesting thing is that this data is out there. Um, it's out there on social media. It's out there on uh, recipes. It's out there in um, in the way that people interact with uh, food and beverage every day. It's out there in what they what they buy. Yeah. The challenge is typically not finding the data. The challenge right. is having um, a team of people uh, take all of this data and uh, and actually make something useful out of it. So companies are solving these problems in a lot of different ways, depending on the size and resources of, of the companies. Sure. Some companies will use a tool like TasteWise to uncover these opportunities. Um, there's also a, a free edition of the tool called Spotlight that uh, you can use to, to answer a lot of these questions. Um, but some companies will also uh, make it their own kind of internal investment to start uh, data scraping, sure. right? And taking a look at uh, things that are, are very specific to them. Um, I think that there are a few uh, different examples of this. I know that um, um, there are a lot of, uh, for example, real estate companies that own a lot of uh, real estate throughout the U.S. that are now converting those real estate uh, properties into virtual kitchens mm-hmm. um, and kind of aggregating brands in those virtual kitchens, which is an amazing um, uh, uh, business model. Uh, and it's uh, our CEO is constantly saying that um, we're getting very close to the point where we don't say virtual uh, restaurants anymore. It's just restaurants, right? right? Just like just like no one says color television anymore. It's just television, right? right? So we're very close to that already. Um, so a lot of those companies are using very robust data engines and AI engines uh, to determine where should I be purchasing property? Where should I be converting my you know, parking lot into a virtual kitchen? Which brands should I be going after? Should I be um, launching you know, a vegan burger virtual restaurant in Ohio, right? Like what, where specifically should I be doing this? So those are uh, incredibly interesting, I think. Um, and uh, in some of the companies as well are uh, more in the realms of like new product development or more in the in the realms of uh, how to actually sell this to um, to food service. Um, I think one of the the my favorite examples is um, uh, the big um, uh, coffee shop chains uh, like Starbucks or Pete's Coffee, where they use these incredible systems to pinpoint where they should be opening branches, all of it based on the very same data that you and I are talking about here now. For sure, yeah. Um, And I think if we look at that example a little bit more of virtual kitchens, um, one of the really exciting 
benefits of opening a virtual concept is that it allows you to be really, really flexible um, and really agile in, let's say, your menu development, right? So let's say you've already acquired a property, you've opened up a concept, um, even down to the more granular level of menu development, having access to data to be able to decide, okay, um, you know, beyond kind of the analytics of, you know, what's being delivered and who's ordering what and whatever, right? Beyond those, those the access to that that you have, understanding the, the the micro and macro trends in your area and then being able to kind of switch at the, I just snapped mm-hmm. for those of you that couldn't hear, <laughs> um, being able to pivot and offer something new, like that's a huge advantage as well, right? Um, yeah. And that's something that you can do a lot more quickly uh, in a virtual concept. Okay, so we uh, kind of zeroed in on Houston, Texas, for our snack companies, we've uncovered that in Houston, Texas, protein, superfood um, are incredibly important. And I want to start using that in either my marketing or my new product development. What's next? Exactly. Um, so now that we've kind of, and we're, of course, moving at light year pace through, uh, you know, the the product process here. But um, so let's say we've used data already for uh, for NPD purposes, right? And we've we've figured out this concept. We've pitched it to our team. They love it. R and D is cooking up their magic in the kitchen. We have this great product. So what comes next? Um, so the next place where you can apply uh, kind of location analysis driven um, data is in marketing. Um, so. Uh, we could take a look at, in Houston, Texas, uh, the most established diets um, to get a sense of, okay, when people are, are coming to eat my product, what diets are they adhering to? Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see that uh, vegan and vegetarian are the most penetrated diets in Houston, Texas. Makes sense. That's true kind of across the board um, nationally, at least vegan is. Um, but we can see, interestingly, that Houston, Texas, halal prepared food is actually the third most established diet. And mm-hmm. that that is not um, necessarily an obvious thing, um, especially for, let's say, a company that isn't necessarily headquartered in Houston to have an understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding, uh, you know, is your product halal certified? Um, could it be? Could you target audiences that are interested in halal food? Um, I think that that's a really interesting thing to pursue. Um, we're also having, I mentioned this, I think, on the previous webinar, but for those of you who aren't with us, our CEO, Alan Chen, is going to be a part of a panel at FFT. Um, so the Future Food Tech Conference, um, mm-hmm. and he's going to be speaking about certifications and how that can be used to um, inspire trust with consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure to, to kind of tune into that if you're interested in this question of certifications. But certifications is, is a lot more than just, um, you know, a sticker on a, on a box. Um, it's really important for marketing purposes and for inspiring trust. So mm-hmm. um, if we're looking at that example of, you know, my Houston, Texas protein-based snack, I might want to think about, okay, can I get it halal certified? Um, can I help leverage that in my marketing? Because I know that that's really important for Houston consumers. And that may have felt, fallen through the cracks if I was just relying on national data or I was trying to kind of figure things out on my own. Yeah, I think that um, it really depends on the type of company, right? Because it um, if you actually go to retailers across the countries, and typically this would be like different chains mm-hmm. that are more prevalent uh, in, uh, in different areas of, um, uh, of the U.S., uh, then um, you'll see that things are marketed a bit differently. You'll see that uh, th- different words are being used and especially where it's being sold. And this also translates into things like um, like mini retail, uh, where mm. you have like these mini retail shelves at the checkout for uh, um, at cafes, uh, for yeah, example. Yeah, like yeah. grab and go. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great example. Um, I want to look at a non-certification um, example just to kind of dovetail off of the whole example. So if we look at Chicago, let's go move to a different city. Yeah. Um, we can see that the top experiential claims are actually fun and traditional. Um, so we can see that interest in food and beverage that caters to a fun experience is up 30% year over year. 
um, and traditional is also up significantly year over year. Um, so if I was to be positioning this in Chicago, right, um, a, a snack-based product, let's say in Chicago, I would really want to focus on, um, you know, fun in my marketing campaign. And how does this contribute to a social experience? Are people really craving, um, you know, something coming out of COVID and, and how can you accommodate that? Um, and also traditional, I think is really interesting, right? Can you create a really awesome piece of content marketing um, that is a, for a traditional recipe using your mm-hmm. product um, to kind of cater to that as well? Traditional so, is a motivation that you see trending. Exactly. Now. Yeah. Um, so looking at kind of uh, traditional dishes or twists on traditional dishes, but people are, are interested right now. And this is a whole other Mm-hmm. podcast topic I think that's really really fascinating about this uh rise in interest in authenticity and tradition um throughout the course of COVID mm-hmm. um but that would be kind of an, another example of of places to focus on in your marketing campaign um using data-driven insights okay so we were talking about uh Chicago and uh the kind of trending motivations in Chicago we're talking about uh traditional mm-hmm. so okay so I feel like we have a good grasp on uh the example of how these things can vary from uh, not just from like East Coast, West Coast, or from country to country, like within states in the US, um, depending on your marketing strategy and your new product development strategy, these things are, are really gonna um, differ wildly. Um, so this is kind of the application of location analysis to new product development mm-hmm. or into your uh, marketing. Right. Um, was there another example that uh, you wanted to walk us through? Yeah, and I think this one is is super, super relevant to our conversation today. So looking at the world of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've created this awesome product, you've marketed it really well, now it's time to sell it. So let's say we're, we're attempting to sell into um, food service or we're trying to sell um, to retail, right? And we need a really, really strong pitch and um, that's really relevant to the context uh, those businesses are found in. So. Um, you can absolutely use data really, really successfully in sales. Um, you know, people respond really well to having verifiable, actionable data included in data, data pitches. Um, so having an ability to leverage, uh, social conversations, um, and this is what we do at TasteWise, but you can do this any number of ways, right? Um, leveraging both consumer interest out in the market broadly in your area and also, um, menu data, right? So being able to say, you know, Shlomo's, place down the street has, you know, X amount of interest in their menu item or has included five new types of whatever protein-based products to their menu in the last week, um, how are you going to respond? Um, Good old Shlomo. Um. Shlomo in Chicago who likes halal uh, snacks, right? So this all fits together. Exactly, exactly. Right. We're spinning a really tightly woven story here. Um, So being able to kind of position that to your food service or retail partner um, in a really concrete way, I think is is really, really helpful. Um, And arming your sales teams to do that um, and to be really agile and give them the tools to arm themselves, right? means that you can have a much faster sales process. So if somebody can go, let's say you have a sales team that's responsible for the Midwest, um, they go to Chicago, they go to, let's say, even Skokie, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Chicago um, area. Um, and understanding the, the kind of minor differences, let's say, between Chicago City versus Skokie and, and how to pitch your product in different places and, and pull out that even neighborhood-based data, um, let's say to, to you know, Shlomo's second location in Skokie. Yeah. Um, being able to, to position your pitches in a really strong way with data is, is only going to be a help. Yeah, so one, uh, I, one of the most um, interesting types of conversations that we're having um, is um, with uh, a lot of the kind of logistical distributors of, uh, of food to, um, uh, to food service, right? Where often um, these companies are being relied upon for more than just 
you know, getting you your tomatoes and getting you yeah, your yeah. A- anything from like the actual produce to your, you know, fridge or anything that uh, that you might have. Sure. Um, they're also being relied upon to say, these are the innovations that you should be doing in your menus right now um, in order to be more successful in this location very specifically. And when it comes to food service sales teams for these companies, that is a very regional specific mm-hmm. relationship. So they have to know um, what's trending in a specific area, what motivations are the strongest there, uh, because it doesn't, all, doesn't only help them make better um, like uh, sales quotas, uh, it also just makes their restaurant partners and uh, and their customers more successful, yeah. right? Uh, the fact that, hey, in your area currently, there is a very strong inclination towards superfoods. Uh, you should have this acai bowl on your, sure. uh, on your menu or whatever. Uh, and uh, I can sell you all the ingredients that you need in order to, to get that. I can sell you everything you need. I can help you design the menu. Um, the partnerships that we're seeing between distributors and um, and uh, food service businesses are deeper right now than they ever yeah. were, right? Both on for physical locations and also for these virtual restaurants that uh, we mentioned earlier. For sure. Um, and I want to dive down a little bit more deeply into that example you just gave of saying, okay, um, you know, superfoods, acai, all of that yeah. great stuff. Um, but you can go even deeper than just at a city level. You can go to city level down to even a specific cuisine, let's say. So the context is going to be different, right? If you mm-hmm. want to look at, um, let's switch gears and give an entirely different example. Um, let's say that I have a vegan cheese product in LA, right? And I know that I want to be uh, potentially targeting Mexican restaurants, right? Lots of, of cheese um, in Mexican cuisine. So um, I could even drill down further and be able to come up with statistics. So let's say, for example, um, only 10% of LA's uh, Mexican restaurants right now are serving vegan cheese. Um, But interest in vegan cheese in LA is up 200% year over year. Yeah, that's very surprising. Um, Because LA has like this mental image, at least in my head, of being like completely vegan, completely gluten-free, completely... Sure, right. But so that's what I'm saying about being um, really conscious of the different, even within a city, right? The different kind of like cuisine-based or cultural-based or whatever it is, the differences within trends in those spaces, um, and then leveraging that data to create a really fantastic offering. So you could, if you're a vegan cheese restaurant or vegan cheese product, mm-hmm. let's say, in LA, um, you might want to be pitching to Mexican restaurants and say, hey, you know, only 10% of you actually offer vegan cheese, but interest is up 200% year over year. Um, and additionally, is up 6% month over month within Mexican cuisine itself. Like, are you are you interested in jumping into this? How can I help enable you to create really awesome vegan products on your menu? Um, and in turn, you're inspiring trust with your partner, right? You're giving them a really great way to bring in additional revenue, create products that really excite their customers, and have them coming back. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, so to kind of recap uh, everything that we talked about. So we talked about you want to start using data in your approach to uh, your go-to-market in food and beverage. Um we mostly focused on the example of using location analysis uh, to analyze specific areas within the U.S. based on uh, social media, based on interaction with uh, with recipes, and also based on how things are performing on nice. restaurant menus. We took a few different examples, right? Like Shlomo's uh, <laughs> growing chain of, I don't know what Shlomo's Conglomerate. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, 65% of all uh, restaurants in the U.S. are small to medium um, chains. So single locations or small to medium chains. So under five locations. So 65% of U.S. restaurants are run by someone named Shlomo. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like we're going into dangerous territory yeah. here. Uh, <laughs> but um, we are keeping it very like PC on the Food Intelligence Podcast. Sure are. Um, but uh, yeah, so we went through the location analysis of different uh, places within the, the U.S. We saw that with applying a specific, not just trend data, but also uh, recipes and menu data for these specific locations, you can make better decisions on um, how you should market or develop for that area. And then finally, uh, how you can sell into food service in that area. And a lot of these um, data points, you should also be thinking about them at a national or even global uh, level. Yeah. Definitely, there are going to be things that are going to be wildly different uh, when you're marketing in, you know, Germany versus the UK versus the US, sure. right? Or like in Australia or Canada or India or like any of uh, any of these different places. Um, but um, but even at uh, kind of a local, let's call it like metropolitan uh, level, um, you're gonna we're seeing decisions that are really moving the needle in terms of, um, of sales quotas. I yeah. think that the sales example that you gave is the most impactful. Yeah, one. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think the bottom line here is not just that, you know, geographic differences will impact how you create NPD marketing or sales strategies, mm -hmm. but it's also that the amount of, of time um, that it takes to do this manually without relying on data, wherever you source that data from, is not worth the amount of, uh, is not worth the, the time and energy, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. relying on kind of manual sources is not going to get you where you need to be exploring how to do data and, and any of the examples that Ron gave, right? If that means creating your own data scraping or if that means relying on a tool like TasteRise or whatever it is, right? Um, making that investment into data to then take those strategies to the next level faster um, and arguably cheaper, right? Um, is what really matters. So what I what I hope that we were able to do with, uh, with this conversation is when you're making the argument internally to go more on a data-driven way, I sure. hope that we've given you some ammunition to use in that conversation. Um, but uh, there are a lot of things that you can use. So as we, as we mentioned, you can go to tastewise.io and use Spotlight for free. Uh, it's not a trial, it's free forever. Um, so you can just use that uh, platform to, to do some research, that's, uh, that's one. Um, another thing that uh, you could do is use any of our free reports yeah. uh, that uh, we put out uh, on a monthly basis. Um, and finally, you can send us an email at live at tastewise.io uh, just asking you know, us to do some research into a specific trend. We do weekly research sessions called TasteWise Live uh, that you're more than welcome to, to join us. Um, so I think uh, we powered through a noisy office and uh, and uh, a guy just going room by room <laughs> and just like drilling holes into the walls. I hope that we were still able to give you some value uh, despite all of uh, this noise and that we haven't driven our uh, wonderful editor completely <laughs> crazy. Um, I do want to mention the wonderful team uh, that helps us uh, uh, do this. So um, the Food Intelligence Podcast is produced by Ophir Nagal and edited by Daniel Gal. Uh, and all of the wonderful, wonderful content and all of the research and analysis that uh, you're hearing here is done by Miriam. Um, oh, sorry, Miriam. Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm giving up consistency on like the Israeli you do, names. You, you do, you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just like we talked about how I call myself Ron. Ron Harnick. Ron Harnick is my name, yeah. right? Um, in the Hebrew, like, Ron. Right. Yeah. And at Starbucks, they won't be able to say it. Ever. Try next week. See how it goes. Yeah. 
Last thing I want to add, if anybody has any questions or any feedback, if you heard something that really struck a chord with you and you want to talk about it more, um, please, this is our version of kind of writing a a letter to the editor. Reach out to us at that same email that Ron mentioned before, live at tuesdays.io. We want this to be valuable um, and collaborative with you all. So if any of our listeners have anything they want to add, please reach out. It'll go directly to Ron and I. So we're happy to take a look and would love to be in conversation with you. Miriam, I can't believe you're going away forever. Forever, guys. That's it. (laughs) I'm disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) Get uh, just get used to hearing Miriam's voice uh, through the filters of Zoom. Pixelated Miriam. We hope it's been useful for everybody and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone.